Welcome to the Proctor Podcast Series, presented by the Samuel Proctor Oral History Program at the University of Florida. Founded in 1967, SPOF is one of the largest oral history programs in the country, with nearly 5,000 interviews. This is Tony Lee Maitland and Giovanni Noguera with the Samuel Proctor Oral History Program. The following segment contains portions of an interview with Vietnam War veteran Mary Barr. Mary Barr was a female intelligence officer operating a typically male-dominated field. Even though both men and women were serving their country in the same complex war, women's treatment and therefore their experiences differed from that of men. Mary Barr was born and raised in Orlando, Florida, and got her higher education at Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. After completing her education, she taught for one year, joined the Civil Air Patrol, and eventually entered the Air Force driven by her desire to travel. Barr soon joined an intelligence school in Denver, Colorado in 1968. Here she re-examines her experiences in the intelligence school, as well as the changes in her views on war and protest. Went to the intelligence school. It was 1968, and so um, there were always crowds of people out in front protesting the war. And every once in a while, one of the members of my class would end up, would have dropped out, and you'd look out the balcony, and there they were with their anti-war signs out on the street. It's a very interesting thing for me to think about, because today I do that. So I've become an anti-war protester, but at the time I was, I guess I could say apolitical. I didn't really think about it or look at it, look at both sides. The general assumption is that women only really worked in medical or secretarial jobs. Mary Barr can be seen as someone who has deviated in her work and skill set. I worked the first half of my tour. I worked for a colonel who was a very interesting man. He um, he was a he spoke fluent Chinese and was a translator. And we were mainly our office was involved in classifying documents and declassifying documents. So it was pretty dry. But he also worked with some of the orphanages in Saigon and taught English to some of the children. And uh, we would go with him. People from the office would go down with him and um, play with the kids. And there were lots of orphans in Saigon, of course, because of the war. And you'd d- drive down the streets there, and people would be living on the curb in boxes and in things made of sheet metal, uh, cooking on the, on the curb, cooking their supper. And, and it was just a common occurrence when you drove around the city. Um, Female soldiers were generally kept at base to tend to jobs such as journalists, clerks, or typists. This creates an interesting contrast with the recent lifting of the ban that forbade women from entering combat. ...that was classified, and I really can't talk about it a lot, but it was a, a, a classified publication for the air crews. And I was trained as a photo interpreter. So um, I was trained to look at both satellite and other photography and, and gather intelligence from it. And so that background and my writing ability, I guess, um, probably I was just the person available. I was put in charge of, the, of this weekly publication. Um, and every week you gathered articles and photographs and put it together. And it had to be driven out. For some reason, the 
publisher publishing house for it was out on the flight line. And so you had to you had to take it out there on on a weekend. And my sergeant had to drive because I was not allowed to drive or carry a gun. I was a non-combatant. All women in Vietnam were non-combatants. And so we weren't allowed to carry weapons, and we weren't allowed to drive vehicles, which to make today, you know, looking back, I think that sounds like Saudi Arabia, doesn't it? But yes. that was the rule. Well, one weekend, my sergeant was was deathly ill. He couldn't couldn't help me, and so I basically put it all together myself. I did get somebody to help with the typing because I'm still a terrible typist, but there was no one to take it out to the publisher, and so I commandeered a jeep <laughs> I'm heading out to the flight line going down one of the main drags of the basin it's a weekend so there's not a lot of people out and this young MP pulled me over an and, MP I'm sorry a military policeman okay and um, he's going to write me a ticket and I'm pleading with him explaining you know there's no one to and I have to get this this job done this is my mission and he, I had him pretty much convinced he backed off and then I made the foolish mistake of saying, and besides, there's no reason women shouldn't be able to drive, blah, blah, blah. And he gets out his ticket book and is writing his ticket like crazy. So I got a ticket, and I got in trouble with my colonel for that one. Despite working in a job safe from the ref combats, Barr was still exposed to the effects the war could have on participants, both mentally and physically. A woman from America was... Um, kind of special to the men over there because they miss their families. And so we would go and visit the medevac patients, would, who would be that? That's the severely injured GIs that were being flown home for treatment. And um, there, there's one, and this is kind of formative for me, and for a long time I didn't talk about it. There's one memory I have of a young man who was having his 21st birthday and they had turned the lights out and they had a cake with 21 candles in front of, of him on his, he was in a hospital bed on a tray and there were all these people gathered around and we were there and the nurse who was having to get, was urging him to blow out the candles and he did it and she kept urging him and he finally did. And the, the picture I remember was he had, stepped on a grenade and it had blown his face away so all you could see were white bandages in the birthday candle light and again there are several people I met over there that I've been haunted about whatever happened to that young man and I don't know but he was waiting to be medevaced back to the states so I actually when we went when we invaded Iraq I dreamed about him the night we invaded because it started all over again. And those are some of my memories. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Proctor Podcast Series. For more information about our program or interviews, please visit our website at www.history.ufl.edu forward slash O-R-A-L, or call us at area code 352-392-7168. That's 352-392-7168.